Well, our, our biggest passage of Scripture today is going to come from the, the book of Romans, chapter 12. We've got several other Scriptures we're going to look at before we get there, starting in Second uh, uh, Corinthians. But uh, we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed. That's kind of what has defined the last, uh, this makes week 14 of this uh, sermon series. And uh, we've got two more after today. So... Um, we're going to be working our way uh, through to the end of it, and then I've got a couple other things on the on the horizon, and then I'm praying about what comes after that. So uh, be praying for me that God would lead me into the the right passage of Scripture that God has for us and the, the correct uh, place to go from there. Um, but today we're going to be looking at uh, this this phrase here in the, from the Apostles' Creed, the communion of saints, um, and as we uh, discuss this, I just want to start off by saying that the communion of saints is not a reference to the Lord's Supper. Um, so the Lord's Supper is certainly something that we will talk about and that we practice as a, an exercise of our faith, and it's something that I'm missing right now. Uh, we're going to figure out a way that we can do the Lord's Supper and and still kind of honor some of this COVID-19 uh guidelines. But the, the idea of the communion of saints, it comes from an older meaning of the word communion and what, what that really means. And as I search the scriptures, most of our modern translations don't use the word communion anymore. Um, and so I found in a, an older translation, like in the King James translation, uh, several verses that do employ it. And I thought that this verse would be a, a good example. Now, what I'm going to put here on the screen is the uh, the New American Standard Version, but I'll point out where the word communion comes up in the King James Version of it. But this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 14, where Paul says to the church, he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. So if you were to be reading this in the, the King James Version, uh, that word right there that says fellowship is actually translated the word communion in the King James Version. Um, and so uh, in modern translations, we typically will see the word fellowship anywhere that the word communion has been used. Now, What's interesting is that word, fellowship, is a word that we have been looking at and discussing in the weekly videos that we've been doing. And it, it comes from a Greek word, the word that was used there, used in several other places, is this word koinonia. And I don't know a whole lot of Greek. I just know what I've heard from other people, what I've read online and that kind of thing in my studies. But koinonia is a word that means this fellowship concept. Right, where there are people who are gathering together with a common belief system and a common purpose for accomplishing the word of God. And so the word communion, when we see the expression, the communion of saints, you could actually interpret that or, or translate that into more modern English and say the fellowship of saints. And I've seen some versions of the Apostles' Creed that do, in fact, change the word communion of saints to fellowship of the saints. And the reason is because in our modern vernacular, most of the time when people say communion, they think about the little wafer and the little cup of wine or juice that you take with that and the Lord's Supper. So communion is a word that really has another meaning, right? So we start there with understanding that the word communion is not in reference to that meal that we observe. It is a reference to this 
community. That's what that word really, they have the similar root of community. It's that fellowship that we have among believers. And this was a a thing that marked Christians from the very beginning. From the outset, whenever Christianity started, this really marked the followers of Jesus was the way that they interacted with each other. This, This bond that they had with one another. And so even all the way back in Acts chapter 2, which is really the very beginning of the church movement. So Acts chapter 2, um, we, we have Peter stand up and give a, a long sermon to the crowd about Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan from the very beginning of time. That there was, there was God's creation, man sinned and fell uh, we fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans 3. And, and God had a plan in works from the very foundations of the earth to bring about redemption, where mankind can be restored to himself. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that plan. And Jesus, he ticked all the boxes of the, the prophecies from the Old Testament. He was exactly who the Messiah was supposed to be. And Jesus, whom they just crucified, is the Savior. And it says the people were pierced to the heart. It says they asked, what must we do to be saved? Save us from this great sin that we've committed. And he says, you need to believe and be baptized. And then it says at the end of that chapter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. By the way, that's that same word, koinonia, right? To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. That word common has the same root. It's like koina or something like that in the Greek. Again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I looked just to see. But that word common, having all things in common, right? This is the sentiment. This is the mentality of those who believe. Those who are a part of the fellowship of God are those who have all things in common with one another, who don't see their things as their their possessions that they have to hold on to and hoard and keep from everyone else, but it's people who have all of their things with open hands as good stewards, recognizing that everything belongs to the Lord. It says they began selling their property and their possessions. They were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, one of the things that first was was an outward expression of their faith was the fact that they just had this love for each other, this care and this concern for one another, to where they weren't trying to win the game of life as compared to their neighbors, but instead they were willing to share whatever they'd been given with anyone who might have a need. And it changed the way that they were perceived. People saw this and they were attracted to it. People saw their love and their compassion and they said, I want to know more about what these people are doing. That's why Paul told them at one point, he said, "Be excuse me, Peter, he said, be prepared to give an account for the hope that is within you. Why? Because you should look so different in the way that you live your life that people are going to start asking questions. 
The way that we live should be different. The way that we love each other should be different. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul puts it this way. He says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now listen, is this the way that our culture today handles trespass? Not at all. If anyone is caught in any trespass, in today's culture it would read, blast them on social media, cancel them and fire them from every job they've ever had, and make sure you ruin their marriage and their family life in the process. You see, we should be countercultural. If anyone is caught in any trespass, we who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. We can't fall victim to this, this same mentality that plagues our world today. We have to lovingly care for one another, even in our weakest points, even in our most shameful moments. He says, each one of you, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You see, there should be this sense of community among us, this this communion among the saints that is different than what this world has to offer. And it it should mark us and give us opportunity to share that with other people. Because it's not just for those who are of the faith. It's not just for those who belong. It's not just for those who are, who are showing up on Sundays. It's for everyone that we meet. Look at what Paul says in, in the book of Romans. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Listen, that's, that's a, it's not... Being devoted to just say, hey, how's it going? How's your mom? Right? That, that's not devoted to one another. That's being kind and that's, that's being you know, nice to people, but that's not being devoted to one another. We should care. We should go that extra mile. We should, we should go deeper into our relationships with each other. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And then he says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Let that one sink in a little bit. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Jesus' teachings on on how we are to respond to persecution, how we are to respond to people who are attacking us, that is some of the hardest thing for us to, to swallow. Especially here in the South. I remember whenever I was a youth minister and I was, I was teaching students about turning the other cheek. That was one of Jesus' teaching. If someone strikes you on your cheek, turn to him the other also. And I, I had a kid stand up and be like, nuh-uh, that ain't going to happen. Somebody hits me on the face, I'm going to hit him back. And I'm like, well, Jesus says that you shouldn't do that. Jesus says that we should live differently, that we should you know, turn to him the other cheek, that we should... in 
not, not in weakness, not in fear, but in, in firm character and strength, say, look, I'm not going to hit you back. And he's like, no, that ain't going to happen. And guess what? That week, I got to have a conversation with his dad who was arguing with me about whether or not we should turn the other cheek. I'm like, look, this is not my teaching. This is what the Word of God says. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. If, if somebody hits my kid, I'm going to tell he's going to, he's been taught to hit them back. And I'm like, I don't understand. I, I don't know what else to tell you except the Word of God says it's different. This is all that we have as far as authority goes. And, and here is one where it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. If you don't like that teaching, that's not a problem with Scripture. It's not a problem with interpretation. It's a problem with your heart. Do you really believe that this book is the authority in your life? If you do, this Scripture applies to you. And it's hard, but it's right. But we go on. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is that community of sainthood, that, that, that believers coming together in fellowship. We will share with other people whenever they're rejoicing. Not griping because they got it and we didn't, but when they get what is a blessing from the Lord, we rejoice with them, even in the midst of our own suffering, even in the midst of our own trial and trouble, we would rejoice with people who are experiencing victory. And that's not easy. That doesn't come naturally to us. That's the Spirit of God working within us. Whenever the Spirit of God is living within us, this is what comes out. We're able to rejoice with those who rejoice even when we are not. We're able to weep with those who weep even when we're not weeping. Even when the tragedy is not our own, even when we're not feeling it, we still weep with them. He says this, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The community of the saints should look different than this world. We should not... We should not succumb to the lowest common denominator of our culture. We shouldn't act the same way that the world acts. We shouldn't respond the same way that the world responds. We should live differently. And it should be marked most of all by love. Now listen, this, this word fellowship, is. I talked about this in the weekly video, but that word, if we look at it in other passages throughout Scripture, we find that it's not just about this, this coming together like, like you're all, I don't know if any of you went to like kids camp. You know, you go to kids camp in the summertime and you get to the end of the week and like everybody is your best friend, right? And, and that's, that's part of the feeling that we're talking about here where we have love for one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Everybody is your, your close friend personal friend, but 
It's more than that. There's a mission to be accomplished. There's work to be done. In Galatians chapter, uh, I believe it's in Galatians chapter 2, where, where Paul is talking about his ministry and he's saying, he's saying listen, I, I've been sent out with this mission. This is not something that I'm just doing. It is something that, that I'm working together with other believers. And he, he says, listen, the apostles, I met with the apostles. He names out Peter and James and John, and, and he says, I talked with them and they extended to me the right hand of fellowship. That word fellowship, again, koinonia. Now, what are they saying through that right hand handshake? What are they saying by extending to him this, this hand of fellowship? What they're saying is, look, we're in this together. Now, Paul, as we, we study the, the New Testament and, and kind of his life, Paul was sent out to the, all the remote areas of the known world. And he, he went to the Gentiles and preached the gospel. And he brought in a great harvest of, of Gentile believers. Whereas Peter and, and those other apostles, they were more focused on Jerusalem and the, and the heart of the, the Jewish people. And so they had different assignments, but they were one in fellowship. They were one in mission. You see, fellowship is not just about feeling good about being a part of the group, but it's about being together and united in a mission that's ahead of us. And if you look at the first part of Romans chapter 12, just a few verses prior Again, we looked at this last week. He says this, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Paul puts it, he expands on this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, the hand can't say, well, I'm not a foot, so I'm not part of the body. And the foot can't say, well, I'm not an ear, so I'm not a part of the body. And the ear can't say, well, I'm not all that important, so I'm just going to get out of here, because then we wouldn't have any hearing. He goes on, he's just making this point. Look, we are all part of the body. Some things may not seem all that important, right? You don't really think too much about your elbow very often, right? But imagine trying to use your arm without an elbow. Right? Even though it may not seem that important, it is critically important. Paul is saying the same thing about us who are members of the body of Christ. Us who are part of the church. That we all have something to contribute. We all have a necessary and important role to play. We all have fellowship with one another. In that way, he says, in going on in verse 6 of Romans 12, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What is Paul saying? He's saying, look, you have a job to do. You have a role to play. You have a ministry that God has given you. So do it. Do it with your whole heart. Do it cheerfully. Do it genuinely. Give of yourself to the body because we have a common work to do. And if you're not here... We're not going to have the same reach. We're not going to have the same effectiveness. We're not going to have the same opportunities. 
We all have a role to play. It's one spirit who's within us that, that brings us together in a spirit of unity. It is, that's our fellowship with one another, but it's also equipping us to go out and do the work that God has called us to do. Listen, our fellowship with one another, the communion of saints, is something that should mark us as different. Where a group of people could get together and do things that we, we might surprise the world at what we're able to accomplish. Because of the unity that's among us, because of the common mission that points us in the right direction. I think about that sometimes whenever I, I remember the passage, whenever, whenever Peter stood up that day to give that, that public address, the, the sound of the rushing wind had come in and fallen on all the, the disciples who were gathered in that upper room and, and people gathered to hear what was going on. And one of the things they said, it's like, yeah, aren't, these, aren't these people from Galilee? Aren't these Galileans? How is it that they're able to speak our language? And a little bit more digging into that expression is not just, hey, aren't they from one place and now they can speak a place of a lot of places, speak the language of a lot of places? It's Galilee, right? It's like, they're from Galilee, right? It, it, it has connotations of, that's just those fishermen who couldn't quite cut it in Jerusalem, and so they moved out there to cast nets in the water. In other words, they're not the brightest bunch, we shouldn't expect anything of any kind of educational quality or caliber coming out of Galilee. Aren't these guys just those fishermen? And I kind of think that that ought to be said of any group of believers. Aren't, aren't these just a bunch of people from Scroggins? Right? Aren't these just a bunch of people who, you know, who just live on the farm? How is it that right here in Scroggins we can have an impact to the world around us? It's not because of us. It's because of the Spirit living in us. And when we come and we offer ourselves to the Spirit, we say, God, use me as you see fit. God, here are the gifts that you have given me. I, I don't know how to make it work. I don't know how to make it useful to you, but I'm yielding it to you if you'll show me how to participate. And it might be some lifelong experience of doing something that you think is totally irrelevant that might be exactly what we need to fill a purpose that's a part of a bigger ministry. You know, I, I've talked to people that, you know, they, they said, well, I, I don't really have anything that I can do ministry-wise. All I did was, you know, handle the books for this small company for years. Like, I need you because <laughs> I don't know how to handle books. That's not my calling, it's not my specialty, it's not my gifting. That would be an amazing gift to offer to the church, right? I don't really know how to do anything for the church. I just know how to work on cars. That's all I've done my whole life is just fix cars. The church needs you because there are people who have that kind of need in their life and I would love to get you connected with the people who need their cars fixed. <laughs> Keith says amen because we've been working on his. God uses what gifts you have to accomplish His will. God wants to use whatever it is you have to do something great. But this should mark us. This should be something that's different. There should be something noticeably different about us because we belong to Christ. In fact, Jesus Himself said it this way. In John chapter 13, 
Jesus gathered with his disciples. This is the last night that he has to spend with them. And he says this to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now listen, Jesus says, as I have loved you, what Jesus has done for them is he's, he's taken his place as the head of the table and he has set it aside, taken off his outer garment, tied a towel about his waist, and he's gone around the room washing his disciples' feet. He, their master, he, their teacher, their rabbi, the one that they look to for all instruction and, and the game plan of everything, the one that they have seen demonstrate power over the physical as well as the spiritual, the one that had all authority, that even the Pharisees were stricken mute by his responses to their questions. Jesus takes off his outer robe and washes their grimy feet. And he says, I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. Not taking a seat of prominence, not expecting respect because of who you are and what you've accomplished, but willingly serving each other. And then he says this in verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, the fellowship of the saints or the communion of the saints is this bond of unity that we have to where we have love for one another, we have compassion for one another that goes deeper than just friendly hellos on Sunday mornings. But we're invested. We're, we're carrying each other's burdens. We're concerned for one another and checking up on each other. But then we're also united with each other in accomplishing the work that God has sent us to, do, to accomplish. We're willing to offer our own services, our time, our experiences, our whatever it takes to help each other move where God is leading so that we can accomplish the work that God has. And Jesus says, this is how people will know that you're really mine. By the way that you love one another. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we find there. Lord, I pray that this koinonia, this fellowship, this communion, Lord, I pray that it would mark us. Father, that it would fill our hearts, it would fill our minds. Lord, that we would be we would be looking for opportunities to demonstrate this love to one another. And God, I pray that we would be yielded to you, that we would not try to work this up of our own volition. Lord, that we would abide in the vine as your word tells us. And as we draw closer to you, I pray that this natural response, not natural to us, but natural to the Holy Spirit, would be a, a marking indicator of our lives. That when people look at us and they see our compassion for one another, they see our care 
even for those who might try to persecute us. Lord, I pray that they would see you and that they would be drawn to the love that won our hearts. Lord, that they would find it for for themselves. Lord, glorify yourself in us. May we demonstrate what true communion looks like among the believers. Sharing with one another, caring for each other, and helping one another achieve all that you've set before us. Lord, I ask for your power to do this in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You respond to the Lord as he leads you. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be glad to. If you want to pray with someone else in response to this, maybe God's already laid something specific on your heart that needs to happen. Commit to that today. Don't don't let it be, oh, that was a good one, and move on with the rest of your life. Let the Holy Spirit touch your heart. You respond to the Lord as he leads us.